Okay. Okay. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We're back for episode three. Three Mundo. Trifecta. Three Mundo. Loves it. If you're still listening, you're now a super fan. Uh, <laughs> that's what we see you as now. There is no choice. There's no going back. You have to listen to us now. Exactly. Sorry, but that's the deal. That is the deal. As you can hear, as you can hear, I'm still a little bit croaky. It is laryngitis, Mark. That's not good. That's not good. Not great, but you know, we're we're pushing through. We're getting there. Got me water. Got me cough medicine. We're rocking. We're rocking and rolling. Yeah. But on the subject of fans, I believe we were starting this week's off with a little thank you. Yeah, definitely. To our recent patrons. Mm. Do you want me to give the list uh, or are you going to go for it? Yeah, give give me the list, Mark. Oh, give I me will. the list. I want you to put it on me. Lay it on me, kid. So, so far, as of this recording, which we're doing on Wednesday. Um, yes, sir. We have four patrons. Or four four patrons? patrons? Patrons. Patrons. It's one of them I think ones, it's right? Patrons. I think it's patrons. I was, I was joking, yeah. mate. I knew all along. Yeah, so. I'm down with the kids. <laughs> so, my mate Sam Hanlon, first patron. Thanks very much. Legend. My other mate, Luke Smith. Thank you very Legend. much. Legend. Ollie Can, who we both went to university with. Legend. Legend. Love that. And our previous flatmate and, and housemate. And yeah. will be future guest on the show. Yeah. Who does music under loops and landscapes. He does indeed. Who has a beard. He has a beard. And he lives in Bristol. And, his, and he loves ale. And he loves ale. And his name is... Jack Sharp. Hey, Jack Sharp. Yay. Legend. Legend. Absolute legend. Legend of rock. We really, really thank All you. All legends. Mark. All legends. Any yeah. any other adjectives or names to call them? Uh Kings of the Game. Yeah. Um, um MIPs. MVPs. MIPs. What's MIPs? Most important player. He's got it. <laughs> Most important. You are legends. We appreciate your patronage. And we hope you continue to listen and enjoy our our subtle voices and our, our talking, our rich warmth. Exactly. And our love for discussing nerdy stuff with albums. Exactly, exactly. And if you want to join them, it is on www.patreon.com forward slash 50 ways podcast. That's five O ways podcast. Um, we've only got yep. one tier at the minute, the three pound a month, which gives you access to the full unedited episode a day early before everybody else which is a roller coaster which is a roller coaster of emotions and highs and lows and you know peaks and valleys everything everything you want and we will yes. be having merch up there soon we will be doing different tiers we're just trying to figure stuff out and we've got free time um yep but yeah pretty hyped pretty hyped yeah um absolutely yeah i had my um covid vaccine jab first one last week hey good luck that's pretty good you know over 75s in that so nice yeah. nice he he marv is about five thousand years old I roughly, think, roughly yeah yeah mm. not to put a two fine point to it um i haven't even been offered my first one yet which to my mind is the nhs saying we know that if you got covid mess covid would just die everywhere yeah they're so sure of your what? health they're just like yeah, yeah you're good you're good in fact you, you are you the vaccine need, mate I am the vaccine. I cough on people and they get better. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Definitely so, heard that, so. Yes. Can't go wrong. But yeah. Um, Indeed. Had it. I think I had it about midday. And then. I, I thought you meant COVID then. <laughs> <laughs> had it midday. Got the vaccine. was fine. Um, and then, yeah, about midnight. And then suddenly started hitting me. 
I was getting really, really cold. I was shivering like intensely. Um, and then he had the vaccine. And had the vaccine. We, I like that. He put a little nice light spin on things. <laughs> got to appreciate that. But no, it wasn't. Oh, you got to get in there. It was terrible. It was horrible. Um, obviously, I knew that it, you know, it was just what the vaccine was doing. So yep. even when I was kind of getting really, really hot and I was kind of having really vivid, like, um, not even like hallucinations, but like vivid images. I had the one thing over and over of, I just watched The Office and... Which one, US or UK? UK, of course. Got to be done. Got okay. Be done. Yeah. Do like the US though. And it was I someone do. handing a file to someone in the office and they kept saying, it's 10 p.m. It's 10 p.m. So it would go round and round and round. But then after maybe like half an hour, it changed to, it's 5 p.m. It's 5 p.m. So it's the same thing, but then the times are changing. Yeah. And it was just like, every time I'd then move, I'd feel really nauseous. So I'd have to like settle down for about 10 minutes. I just couldn't switch off and it was just... It was it was a it was a time. Sounds brutal. Sounds brutal. Sounds brutal. Luckily, I had my girlfriend next to me to um, calm me down. Yes, luckily yeah. she was there and stayed up with me all night and was just reassuring me that I was okay. Um, so eternally grateful to her. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And then the next day, I just felt very exhausted. My muscles just felt very achy, quite fatigued, even going up and down the stairs and stuff. Um, didn't have any kind of appetite only had like one meal um and then managed to kind of sleep off the next day and then i want to say maybe on like so that is on what thursday so i reckon maybe by monday sunday sunday night into monday pretty much all right my arm's still a little bit he was rocking yeah i can kind of feel it now if i touch it but yeah generally i'm okay don't touch it then i won't touch it all right that's just that was just for you that's just for you so um yeah okay so I'm, i'm happy i've had it and with the announcement that we might soon be gigging on, you know, probably like June as like full unrestricted access to be able to do gigs. Um, very cool. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting to think. Definitely, definitely. Very much looking forward to uh, the future and where we're going, where we're heading, where we're uh, rocking, where we're rolling, <laughs> where we're where we're money in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Give us but, money um, now. Give me money. That's that's what I want. Give me some money. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Spinal Tap reference. He's already gone there. Oh, oh. How is? I don't know. What are the hours? What are the hours? How is your week? What are the hours? Been, apart from the laryngitis, tell me about how that's that's come about. Okay, uh, so I oh, already said how it came about last week, oh. so we won't go through that again. But I will say it is affecting my sleep. And I'm currently running on about two hours after going to work at 6 a.m. this morning. So, um, um, I could be better. I could be better, I won't lie. But the love of music and albums is pushing me through the stratosphere. True professional, I love it. Oh, you've, you've got to keep pushing through. I've certainly been in worse scenarios, certainly. So, I consider myself lucky. Uh, it's not COVID, for people who have just joined us. It's just a bit of laryngitis. I'll push through it. You you haven't seen the last of Mez. Trust me on that. And I've got a very uh, very cool function as well. What's that then? I've got a very cool very cool effect where basically I can just turn into Biggie Smalls whenever I like. So it's very entertaining. It's very fun. It's very, very fun and entertaining. Oh, I mean, um, hopefully that does not get worn to the ground. Hopefully you can be I hope not. That. Oh, very, yeah. very. 
very sparing because it's important to make sure that you don't use a joke too many times, you know? Anyway, that might be the last time. Yeah, I might. So, I might Marv, what are we? I might ban that. I might ban that. But let's <laughs> let's just see what happens. And um, if you do notice yes. a massive uh, octave jump down in someone's voice, that is Merritt playing with his fancy pedals. So fancy pedals. So Marv, lay it on me. What are we discussing this week, chap? This week, I'm going to say that again because apparently England is not good for me. This week, we are looking at posthumous albums. And lovely. I guess the important question of you know how do you maintain an artist's, artist's legacy in the right way yes. in the most respectful way um what kind of constitutes a posthumous album like how many kind of types of posthumous albums can you have um yes. when is too much too much when is too little too little um how far and do when you is go? just right when is it just right you know like the three bears you know can like you, the three bears. Can you mix yeah. the formula right? We certainly know of some amazing, good posthumous work. Um, oh, yes. But yeah, we're going to have a little chat about that, I think. First, we'll maybe talk about maybe the albums that we had to listen to. So I, yes. you gave me the task to listen to Bav, Hell by Meatloaf, and I dreaded it. I completely dreaded it. I didn't want to listen to that. He wasn't into that either. Like, oh, it's going to be like 11 minute tracks all across the board and. You know, usually I listen to music when I'm out on a walk, like early in the morning. So when you're a bit bleary-eyed, new, fresh to the world, and you've got to listen yeah. to Bad Hell, it's not, not enticing. But got through the first track, and I was like, I like the guitar sound. I like all that, you know. And okay, it's got a charm. Like, it is a good song. It was just, I think it's just overplayed or oversaturated. And then the next yeah. tune kicked in, which I can't remember the name of it, but you'll know. What's that? That's track two. You took the words right out of my mouth on a hot summer night. What banger. What banger. Amazing, isn't it? And the rest of the album kind of follows more in that vein. It's a lot more of a yeah. concise um, 70s rock record. To me, it's not as like operatic or the rock opera kind no. of genre. Um, it's just kind of, it's like how Queen kind of um, embraced all that kind of thing and pushed, expanded yeah. their music into that. Um I just think it's, yeah, you know, maybe it's a bit more of a rock leaning than the Queen one did at their most kind of rock opera-ish. Maybe like more, yeah. more in terms of like the Who, um, when they did all that stuff, uh, Quadrophenia and that. But I was a fan of it. You know what? Bloody good album. Bloody good album, that is. And That's what I, I definitely want to hear it again. I would definitely skip the first track, though, because you didn't tell me when I, when I listened to it the special bonus track at the end was a live version of Bad of Hell. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought I escaped I See, see I, I wouldn't have gone that far because on the original press, which I have two of, by the way, You're right. on the original press vinyl, um, there, isn't that, that's, there isn't a live version at the end. So you've obviously gone to Spotify. Spotify I've gone with, ladies and gentlemen. Spotify. Spotify. Um, and you've 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 obviously gone through the whole thing because I do believe you had is it Belarus or Great Belarus on fire or something? I could the live I, intro. I I couldn't tell you. I just chucked it on. Yeah, put my put my iPad in my bag and was just kept on walking, baby. Kept on walking, baby. <laughs> but no, so I would have I would have allowed you to just kind of be like, I've heard this, mm. you know. 
hey, I was I was a fan of it. I definitely want to maybe try a couple of his other albums. So, what do you reckon I should go with next? Bat two, I would think, would be a good progression at this point. I'll go back two then. I'll give that a little listen. See what's what's what. Have have a go at that. Um, I'm not that intimately well known with that album, so I can't really make a huge recommendation. But it's it's meatloaf, you know. Much like the food <laughs> Just, itself, I guess you can't you can't go wrong. No, not really, not really. Apart from me, because I don't want to eat it. Thanks, Merritt. How did you get on with uh, Stillmatic and Illmatic? So I loved every minute of Illmatic, and coming from the perspective of somebody who very much enjoys Notorious. I can completely understand why people have such a dilemma choosing the best rap album of that year. Because Illmatic is, well, it's it's flawless. In my opinion, it's absolutely incredible. NY State of Mind, Life's a Bitch, absolutely fantastic. The world is yours. And yeah, it's, it was one of, those tu- one of those tunes, one of those albums. I mean, I listened to it whilst I was doing something, which is kind of what I'll do if I'm trying to listen to a new album rather than just sit down and that's all I'm doing. Because I find you can you can pick things out and it will perk up your ears and it will make you want to listen more, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, and I found myself humming along, having a little bop to it, really enjoying myself. You love a bop. Really enjoying you myself. Love I love a little, I love a shindig, mate. Um, Stillmatic. So, not a bad album either. Or should I say ether? Oh, he beat me to the punch. Hey, uh, you should be a comedian, mate. No, I shouldn't. I got a face for radio. I did enjoy it. To me, it wasn't as memorable as Illmatic. And to follow up on a point you made last week, it because it's got kind of um, fake instruments, it's all electronic. That I, I agree with you. It kind of takes away from the seriousness of it. I think, considering he had this this artist released Illmatic, you kind of think it'd be like, "Well, oh, you've, you've you've done that, mate. Move on." But I do agree that the album would be much much better with real instruments rather than just fake electronic stuff. But as I said, I still very much enjoyed it. Still very much enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. This isn't an album, but this is a new thing. So Marv knows, and quite a few of my friends and my family know, I enjoy downloading mobile games, very much so. It's kind of my thing. Um, Queen released a new mobile game this week, okay. which is which is basically Guitar Hero, but you, you control all of the band members. All right. It's two ninety nine, and if you love Queen, go and download it. Seriously, go and download it. It is super fun. It is re- it's got a real charm to it. It's really funny, and I can live out my my lifetime goal of being Brian May. So, what a, so that's all you need. What a great place to start from just two ninety nine, eh? Two ninety nine, mate. Oh. Two ninety nine. Because I had a thing where it was like, oh, you've done the free trial. You need to buy the game, and I was like, oh Christ, what is it? Thousand quid a month until I'm dead and buried. And they were like. One off payment, two ninety nine. I was like, amazing. You're having that. Amazing. You're having I'm that. having that. Yes. Let's get into the meat and bones. Posthumous albums. Um, 
you know, what do you do when an artist sadly passes away and you want to hear more of them, you know? Yes. Um, what do you do? What do you do? If someone has a very, very big, large career that spans decades, I mean, you have a lot of their scope and a lot of their breadth of what they've already done. There may be their classic periods. So you can kind of dig deep and explore into there. Maybe look into B-sides, maybe look into live performances. Um, sometimes that's not enough, you know? Like I, Sometimes you want to hear more, especially if you know that there's unreleased material of say, good quality. Um, and you just want to kind of maybe, maybe in your head think, well, what would they have sounded like now? What would they have sounded like now, you know? Um, yes. And I can only think of a few types of posthumous albums. So the artist dies before the album is released, like Life yep. After Death. Um, but he's, I was going to say, he's the, the the artist still works on it and writes it. Yeah, it's like they're still around. And... Yeah, they're still around. They've kind of overseen all the operation of it. And then before it actually gets released out to the audience, they then sadly pass away. Um, like, not the traditional sense. Um I guess the more traditional definition is an album that's made from old material from an already deceased artist, Um, which, you know, of course, Tupac and Biggie, they've got quite a a history, storied posthumous career, which I think is longer than the ones they were when they were alive. Um, Absolutely, it is, yeah. And then you've got artists uses the medium of an album to symbolize their death. So someone like Black Star by David Bowie, knowing that he was going to die, I believe he might have died two days after the album was released and no one knew he was in ill, Ill health um like no. you know public wise um so i'd like to know if there was anyone else who's done that because i can only think of black star um i can't i can't think of any more no. so i know have you listened to that album no i haven't listened all the way through which is a sin i know it's a sin um it's... i'll add it to my list add it to my list for this week yes so i was going to say i've 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 had an initial listen um Chilling is a word I'd use. Chilling and horrifyingly good. Wow. I think, anyway. Yeah. From what I remember. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then another one here is maybe like a little bit of a, not a tangent, but a little bit of kind of like a small thread. Tribute albums that use the artist's work, whether directly, like sampling, or indirectly, like using their lyrics. So they're not necess- you're not hearing them. You might be hearing other people say their words or play their parts or something like that um which is all stuff we we're going to be covering anyway the albums we picked and whatnot yes um so i was trying to look into like the first ever posthumous release like who was the first person ever to have something like that um stellar research on my part just just went to wikipedia you know as it is (laughs) busy man could be correct could be incorrect i've got cereal to eat and tea to drink so um Chopin, Frederick Chopin, he died in 1849, and apparently his opuses 66 to 74 contain more than 20 posthumous works. So, Sorry, did you say Chopin as in the composer? The composer Chopin, yeah. Okay, yeah. I thought you said Chopad. Chopad, no, not, not, not him, not him. No, okay. <laughs> um, there are meant to be phone autograms of Edward Leon Scott de Martinville. Again great name martin see, see what i mean amazing see what i mean genius um they won't be they weren't able to be played back until a long time after his death in 1879 because they required digital technology right. so you've got this weird thing here where you couldn't even hear it 
until something else no. got invented. So that's pretty crazy to me. And this one called... That's Beautiful... crazy to think about. That is crazy to think about, isn't it? Um, I know there's things like... Um, Woody Guthrie, I think, had was using these recorders which use like wire copper or something. It was like a wire recording on a big spool. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that to me is really, really interesting. Like no one ever heard it until his daughter, I think, managed to get someone to restore it. Very interesting. Um and then the song Beautiful Dreamer, which was published in eighteen sixty four, shortly after the death of the songwriter Stephen Foster. Um it was promoted as the last song ever written by him, composed but a few days prior to his death. But some people think it was written like two years earlier. Okay. So that's the earliest I can see. 1849, 18 to about 1879. Um, I wouldn't have thought it would be that early, but... Yeah, I, just, I, I didn't know. I don't know, like... Pretty pretty interesting to me, you know? That is. That is very interesting. So, we're going to focus on... Um, we're going to use the two-pack biggie storyline, really, that posthumous releases and all this thing. It's kind of like the main thing going through. And then we've got two different albums as well that we want to touch upon. Um, yep. I think just in terms of their legacies, uh, especially within hip-hop, especially within music in general, like both regarded as one of the best to ever do it. Um, and short careers when they were alive, um, long careers posthumous wise and yes both have very very results but they're very similar in other ways um so as we're recording now which is the wednesday the 3rd of march 2021 um i looked under machiavelli which is tupac's alias name he did a song um song he did an album um the don luminati theory seven day theory something like that i'll get it right I will get it right somewhere down the line. Um, <laughs> it is the Don Caluminati, the seven day theory. He released that under the name Machiavelli, um, which was his first like technically posthumous work. Um, so I went onto his Spotify and there was a new song called No Stress. It's a collab with someone called DBA. But what I couldn't see or hear, there's no two-pack verse. There's no vocal that I can tell is sampled. There's a two-pack sample. So like, I'm really confused whether it's actually... A track of his or not you know very very strange but um the last release on spotify that i could tell the two-pack one was a 2019 album greatest hits kind of type called california love kind of as you'd expect just all the all the bangers. of course yeah um <clears throat> as for biggie he had an acoustic version of mo money mo problems 16th of october 2020 which i believe is just the original track but with acoustic guitars behind it and kind of really soft drums it's not too bad. I kind of, I was going to say, I kind of like the idea of that. It's not too bad. And then March the 1st, I believe he had the documentary come out. I've got a story to tell, which you watched and you yes. said it was very, very good. So there's a new oh, kind mate. of um, greatest hit soundtrack album to that. But how was that documentary? So I went in it, I went into it sort of cautiously um, because, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these documentaries, music documentaries, um, I found myself disappointed in some ways, but in recent years, people seem to keep rolling them out and they seem to be great, uh, which is fantastic. I love that. If you're a notorious fan or even a fan of hip hop of any sort of measure, I could not recommend it more. 
It's, uh, I believe, an hour 37 minutes, so it's not horrendously long. There are, there is never never seen before footage, um, because what, apparently what they used to do, I can't remember the lad's name. Uh, He was a member of Junior Mafia, and every show, Biggie would be like, load the tape into the camera. Yeah. And they would they would film the audience's reaction to songs because Notorious really, really wanted to build his set list in a better way. He wanted to see the reactions. He wanted to see the... I'm going to cough. He wanted to see the reaction of the audience and he wanted to build a better set list, basically. Interesting. And there's some very, very, very cool footage um, of him sort of alone just talking um interviews with people i've 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 not seen interviews on this particular subject about before um his mum's in it and she speaks very freely his grandmother's in it she speaks very freely um his so i didn't know this and i don't know if you know this either marv when he was growing up it was a very notable jazz musician um, who used to live right around the corner from him. Um, and basically, this he used to kind of go around his house, and they used to... He was basically... He took him under his wing, and he was teaching him about... So there were certain ways jazz drummers will play to make it seem more like a melody than a rhythm. And he was trying to get that into his head because he wanted to... This is going to sound really weird. Bear with me. I'm with you. He wanted, to, he wanted to groom him into becoming a jazz musician because he really had talent. I don't know if many people know this, but Notorious was a really smart kid. Really, really smart kid. And um, basically, um, there's an interview with this jazz musician as well. Um, and oh, I'm trying to think of this guy's name. It's ruining me. But there's an interview with this guy, and you can see how visibly upset he is. Like even now, you know, um, there's a lot of um, a lot of facts, a lot of sort of interesting things to find out about it. So I really would recommend it. Like I said, the interviews are with members of Junior Mafia, people he used to hang out with on the streets of Brooklyn. Uh, a lot of stories about when he was a crack dealer and yep. stuff like that. And he told his mum that he was working and she believed him. <laughs> and also the clip in the film, Notorious, yep. where she finds a plate of crack and thinks it's mashed potatoes. That's true. That wow. happened. Wow. That actually happened. And uh, even now that with the interview with her, she's she's like, I was so angry. I was so angry with him when I found out about that. Um, But yeah, also, apparently, real shy dude. Like, really shy guy. Um, Um, I I, I don't know. I met... I'd watch it. You've not met him, have you? I've I've not met him, no. Unfortunately, I didn't No, that's the thing. He was around for a pint the other week, so we have to talk about that. Oh, here we go. Yeah. There's a new series on (laughs) our podcast is... uh, Mez has a point. Mez having points. Yeah. Yes. Mez has a point with. So it's been Tra- uh, Travis Barker, Roger Taylor, Tom DeLong, and now Biggie Smalls. So, that's all so uh, there it is. 
saxophonist Donald Harrison. Okay, never heard of the guy. Apparently big in the jazz game. Um, he, the, he said, the first time I spoke with Chris, he was on the stoop. Um, I was passing by and he just said hello. We started talking, it grew into a friendship. He was a lot younger, but he wanted to learn about music. And that was music or magic to his ears, apparently. Um, he gave him homework, asking him to scat along to um, an Adderley sax solo. Um, you have to slow things down, take your time to phrase each note, Harrison explained. We worked on various tonguing and speed and agility. Um, so I find that really interesting, and I think that really attributed to why he was as fresh as he was when he came out. Yeah, it's like now you kind of view that as his rhymes and his flow comes from saxophone language. Yeah, in a way. Phrasing. In yeah. a way. Yeah. And yeah, such, on such top a good of, flow. Yeah, ah, oh, class, mate. Absolute class. History, as they say, the rest is history. There we go. But that leads perfectly in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, he does, Biggie does Ready to Die. And then um, obviously Life After Death comes out. And then you have Born Again, which is 99, Duets, 2005. And then The King and I, 2017. My pick for maybe his weakest posthumous record or the one to maybe have a look at and go, is this any good? Who knows? Is is the King and I? Um, it's like a Faith, okay. it's a Faith Evans and Notorious B.I.G. collaboration record. And this is another thing. It's it's saying collaboration record, but it's underneath Biggie's um, discography on Spotify. It's definitely, yeah. I would say, a Biggie album, maybe, but it's kind of hard to say. Um, I think the reason why this is say worse than duets. Duets to me has a lot more um, indication of what he might sound like if he was still alive and if he was kind of maybe following the trends of what other people are um, doing at the time. Um, this was meant to be the last album of all the new material that we would hear. Um, but it doesn't mean the Big East train's got to stop rolling. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes. <clears throat> the only gripe I have about this album, this came out about 2005, and this has an nasty girl on it which you adore, and I adore too. I was going to say, the reason why The King and I is worse than duets is because Nasty Girls on <laughs> duets. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Amazing track. Um, Amazing track. Really good. And I think, I think as a good lineage and a good successor to Juicy, in terms of that like pop, if he's going to do a pop single, Definitely. amazing. Amazing, yeah. I think, it, I think it really does rate highly upon all his work. I know it's a little bit divisive to people, but I think it's strong. The only gripe I have about this record is that the second track after the intro doesn't have any Biggie on it. There's no Biggie verse. Not into that. It just has like some laughs, some like, oh, you know, some of that. Maybe you could do a replication of it, you know, with your your pedal on that. Do a laugh. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So that's all kind of what you really hear. It's called It Has Been Said. Um, you want to stay true and honor the artist's original work and original vision. Um, obviously, the more you do, maybe the less you have to work with in terms of where you can go, what you what you can give audiences. You also want the record to kind of maybe go with the times and compete and sell, you know, because 
that then is a good metric of people want this. People still want a Biggie album. People still want a Tupac album. Um, it's just how, who has to stand up to the task of delivering that product, which is an enormous task, especially for two people like that who are yeah. very, very high up in their, in their respective fields. Um, you're almost, it's almost doomed by the start in a sense. Um, I know Eminem did Loyal to the Game, which is a two-pack album. I think he produced that. I don't know if he even produced that for free, you know. I think he was like, it was so, such an honor to do it. And I feel like he executed it quite well. It definitely has, it definitely the dated uh, Aftermath G-Unit era sound that I'd say like, yeah, like kind of Scott Storch kind of sounding Eminem kind of beats. But I still think it's pretty respectful and there's, it's got a ghetto gospel on it, which is really, really strong. I, I love ghetto gospel. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, duets to me, um, I think it's pretty strong. I would definitely use that as the gateway album to get into his earlier work. If you know nothing about his earlier, say, two, three albums. Um, I think What You Want stands up on its own merit. Um, get Your Grind On and Nasty Girl. Those are three songs where I really think that if he was alive today, that's what he would be making. Yeah. I really yeah, I, so. I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on that. Yeah. And then we have 1970-something, which is kind of a little preview of what was to come with this King and I record, which I will talk about now. This song, specifically 1970-something, executed quite well, and I think it holds up on its own. Um, but yeah, I think we have to talk about this interesting... It's definitely an interesting listen, this The King and I, so... A little bit of a backstory. Um, this came out in 2017. Um, Faith Evans was Biggie's wife, whom she married in 1994. She met him at a photo shoot and before his first album had been released. Um, he becomes friends with Tupac. He starts an affair with little Kim. Um, Biggie then has a son born in 1996 with Faith Evans. Um, and then obviously this West Coast, East Coast feud kind of bubbles up. So... The main gripe I've got with this record is that if it was just a Faith Evans record and you took off the Biggie verses and maybe you got in other rappers or other singers and just kind of she's telling her story, her basically her side of this relationship. So like some like legacy, right? You can tell that 24 Karat Magic had like come out and yeah. she was trying to kind of copy that kind of sound because there's a lot of that like sharp five altered chord kind of going yeah. on with that 80 stab there's these annoying wind chimes that keep happening every like five ten seconds um and the original vocal comes from a born again track which is his uh fourth album second posthumous one um called would you die for me which features little kim who he had an affair with bit weird so this is this is a weird thing about the record is that it sounds it sounds like when, you know, when you know somebody, you know, a relationship, you know, a couple, and then they break up and you hear both sides of the story and they're either vastly different. So you kind of get one first and you kind of go, okay, okay. Then you listen to the other side and you're like, oh, this is, this isn't the same. This is a bit different. You kind of get in those weird two camps. You don't know maybe who you're like allegiance to, or you just hear it from outside the point of view and you're just like, okay, this no wonder they didn't work or something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like Faith Evans is, is telling you her side of the story, but she's got both sides amalgamated them into this one thread to then retell you with the other guy there. 
So when you hear tracks like this, like she's detailing her relationship with him throughout the album and especially on this legacy track, she's telling us that the second she saw him, he was for her and wanted to be his and all loving and all these things. Yet you go back to the original track, Would You Die For Me? And it's got a little Kim on it. And you think, well, wait a minute. Like that's the mistress that he had. And it makes no, I don't know. It seems not, maybe a bit forced. I, d- I don't know. Maybe a bit I, I don't disingenuous. To, yeah. I don't know what she's trying to kind of prove throughout this record. Is she trying to set a new narrative her way to kind of make herself look good? Or is she trying to detail like, no, I know we have problems. I know there's this thing and this thing and that thing, but it's fine. It's been, you know, over 25 years now. Let's just tell a story how it is. I don't care how ugly it gets. I don't care how it makes me look or him look. This is just the raw honest truth. But I don't know. I don't know how true it all is, you know? Yeah. And I suppose at this point, it'd be kind of difficult to know 100% of the facts because 50% of that relationship left us in 1997. To me, it's almost like she's, she's gone. This, this is how I kind of think it sounds. So she's gone to the producer and gone, what have we got? Like what, what of Biggie's samples have we got? And the producer's gone, we've got this, 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 this. So she's gone, okay, I'm going to write songs around these mm. and I don't care what the initial context of it was. I'm going to crowbar them in to make it sound like it was intentional and that's what I, that's how I want to reflect the story I'm trying to tell from this record, from my life, from my relationship with him. Um, that's what it sounds like to me. It's It's definitely more of a more of a oh yeah 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 nah 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 that definitely yeah that's fine that yeah yeah just put that in yeah people people will like it people will like it yeah people won't that, take that it, kind no, of thing you know, that kind right. of thing yeah thanks for saving me there i was coughing right. I, I jumped in this this we're the dream team we're the duo we help each the other the dream you know. team we finish each you other's sandwiches uh, i knew you were gonna <laughs> say that anyways so yes um something like i don't want it right so it centers around biggie wanting a certain act and very much so now the act that he wants maybe um is graphic in nature i must say so she's really letting us know like i was faithful i was all good he was the one doing it yet on the track before she was kind of had the same the same kind of uh approach of biggie songs talking about you know sleeping with other people but she's like he's the one he's all this so, like, even then, that's a juxtaposition inside a juxtaposition. Mind very blowing. weird. Yeah. Very weird. It's very weird. Um, the music itself is quite pretty. Quite pretty. The music itself is quite pretty. Quite and, pretty. It's, and it's pretty good, you know? Like, cool modulations. Um, it's definitely interesting. Um, but, yeah, I just don't get it. I don't get it now that she's kind of, yeah, almost kind of not having a go at him and being like, well, yeah, if you don't smarten your actor, boy. I won't be tying my shoes in front of you anytime soon. <laughs> uh, dear Marv, give me... So, for, for the listeners who don't know, we FaceTime whilst we do this, obviously, for COVID-19 restrictions. We do. Give me uh, uh, a sort of symbol over camera as to what he was requesting. Okay, well... This is for my benefit alone. 
<laughs> so if you want to know, I was brushing my teeth. That's what I was doing. I was, I got my hand to the side of my mouth. I was, I was brushing my teeth, really opening my mouth loudly, giving it a girl. So it's got nothing to do with tight shoes at all. You're a liar. Wow. Um, the weirdest part of this record, right? So there's an interlude that's big. Sorry, sorry. There's we everything we've just discussed still isn't the weirdest part. We're I don't think it's the weirdest part. The weirdest part. So wow. it's, a, it's it's an interlude, and it's Biggie and Faye. The guy who plays Biggie in the film Notorious is on this record doing this interlude. I'm not into that at all. I I, I don't get it. Like it's like getting a Biggie tribute act to rap on his own album that he's not necessarily a part of. That songs are coming from somewhere else. I don't understand. Weird. It's like she's she again to have that more control over the narrative and the more editing over this narrative to show their relationship in a good light. I I just don't get that. I do not get that. I mean, I know we've had. I know there are bands that maybe have hired tribute vocalists to be in their band. Um, I think Judas Priest did that, right? Then they get someone who was in a Judas Priest tribute band to be to replace Rob Halford for a bit. I'm not entirely sure, but I do know Graham Bonnet, um, a, one of the vocalists from Rainbow, mm. actually got a Rainbow tribute act to play as his backing band. Amazing. <laughs> Which and it worked. It worked so well. Um, it's such a weird, confusing narrative, isn't it? When you look at the story, that is strange. But yeah, that this, is strange. What do you think of that? What do you think of like getting in? Because there's also rumours on the Tupac side that they got in Tupac impersonators to finish off lines, to do ad libs and things like that to kind of fill it out. It's not confirmed, but it's definitely a rumour. So, what do you think about this kind of interlude where you're now watching, you're listening to someone pretend to be Biggie? on a Biggie record where Biggie is also on there talking about his story, but Faith Evans is telling you her narrative. What do you think? I think it's just unnecessary. I think if I think she's got enough content for an album and I think she completely missed the boat with the suggestion you had, which was make it a Faith Evans album, have Biggie here and there. I think Faith has done herself a disservice I think she's been a bit silly about it, to be honest. She's been a bit of a silly goose about this. <laughs> Faith, if you're listening, come down to Bristol. Let's have a coffee. Let's talk about how you how you could do the album, yeah? You've, all right, Faith, you've been a silly goose. That is all. Yeah, silly goose. Um, and and I'd, on top of that, so you look at the album and you've got relative cliché song titles i will make this clear i haven't listened to this album well it doesn't matter because you're going to be listening to it next week anyway this oh, is the whole point no. we, we find albums there we, go. we find <laughs> albums and you know it sees the light of day and <clears throat> you know this completely slipped by the wayside for me this was released four years ago and i call can myself i skip a... 10 go on 10 wife oh. commandments can i skip it no you have to listen to 10 wife commandments because... oh my god because that is the, the title alone. This is what I mean. The, a song like that. So Biggie had a song called 10 Crack Commandments off of um, Life After Death. Amazing. Very, very amazing song. Great song. Um, obviously telling you kind of the rules of how to deal this crack cocaine um, or mashed potato. If you've got mashed potato, 
just deal that instead. Have a go at that. Exactly. Always, everyone wants an Albert Rooster. Um, so, yeah, she's changed into the Ten Wife Commandments. So now she's saying if he breaks the rules, she will too. So now she's not afraid to go out and cheat. She's not afraid oh, to go out and do this. No. Even though tracks before, she's being loyal. And again, this narrative of maybe she's portraying the, the correct narrative of how it broke down. She was like, well, if he if he's having his fun, why can't I? Um, yeah, the kind of big, the big overarching theme of this is like, why couldn't this just be a Faith Evans record? I think yeah. it'd be so much less offensive. Absolutely. I think she could portray, even with this storyline, and take out all the biggie stuff, um, it would just work so much better. I think the execution would be so much better, but maybe there was a thing of, well, put Biggie in, it's going to sell, it's doubling up your, you know, if you've got fans of Faith, fans of Biggie, bring them together, it's going to sell like hotcakes. I believe it didn't really sell that much. I want to say maybe it sold 26,000 copies, something like that. Right, that is, it's it's that quite is low. low I mean. Yeah, def- it's definitely below 100,000 copies, but that could just be the world we live in, the music world we live in. Um, could be. But yeah, I just feel like it's painfully average. It's not the worst thing in the world. Definitely. And this is a whole point. Again, we can get lost in this podcast when we keep, you know, talking about the worst things or these things. But the whole point is go listen to these. They aren't as bad as people think. When people say never listen to it, it's the worst thing in the world. We're saying go listen to it. We're trying to give you a little bit of perspective. We're giving ourselves a little, a little bit of perspective and taking away all those big conjectural statements and hyperbolic statements. Like it's an interesting listen if you view it as one half of a couple and how they would tell you the story. If you knew nothing about his life, her life, and you sat down and were having a coffee with him like you were, um, and they, you know, you said, how was the relationship? How'd that end? How'd it start? Tell me everything. And viewed it that way. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. Um, obviously, when you know about, we know about the previous albums. So for people that don't know a lot about Biggie, there are people that don't know about Ten Crack Commandments. They'll listen to that. And then hopefully go back to his earlier work. You don't know. They might just view that as a standalone track. I wouldn't use this as a gateway album. Again, duets is so much better. Um, yeah. I just don't understand why she couldn't just make a solo album. Like, and maybe in, maybe it wouldn't feel right to include people in the story that were not there and didn't know him. Um, there is a track with Buster Rhymes, which is really, really good. Like the last third of this album quarter of this album last quarter kind of starts getting good it kind of starts hitting the mark um and executing what it was meant to be um and there's a really interesting one called loving you for life featuring little kim uh, and so you got the widow and the kind of mistress so yes yeah, i i'm i don't know whether they've they've reconciled i'm gonna assume maybe they have if they're on a track together but they must have done but to me that's should have been expanded on it's way more authentic it ticks all the boxes it's not as biggie heavy but i don't mind that it really no. makes me think like i wish this album was just like this again that's that's pretty much all i got for that doesn't have any flashes of his like early work in terms of musicality you can hear maybe lineage from tracks like mo money mo problems and i'll be missing you which does have faith on it um and snoop dog he's gonna come up quite a lot because snoop dogg seems to be on every posthumous album ever made he is on (laughs) 
he is on every um i think he's on every biggie posthumous album bar life after death so he's on born again duets in this one and i believe he might be on every two-pack um posthumous album i could actually be wrong there you know what i'm not that wrong he's on he's on pax life i don't think he's on loyal to the game um but yeah he's everywhere and he's going to be on the the last album that i'm going to talk about too but yes um it's definitely very interesting listen don't expect anything don't go into it thinking it's a biggie album even though it's probably marketed as such um but view it as like i said it's a relationship has crumbled and the woman is telling her side of the story. She's kind of maybe putting in her narrative, maybe bending the truth, telling maybe a couple of lies here and there. So as that, it's good. The music is, is interesting at times. Sounds a bit dated, but I would go in like that. I, I like that. I like that. And just one further point, just looking at the track list, listing, she said all this stuff, and all the cliches, and then you've just got, it was worth it at the end. <laughs> so you can look at that as a round off nicely, or you can look at that as another juxtaposition to this whole Faith Evans notorious B.I.G. bubble. Do you want to hear about the uh, posthumous album I was looking at, or would you like to say more, Marv? I mean, all I'm going to say on the two-pack side, I think two-pack's work is pretty solid throughout. He had a couple of other uh albums but i don't again i'm gonna i'm gonna pose this to you so you had the rose that grew from concrete and the rose volume two which is 2000 and 2005 respectively um now these are this is music inspired by tupac's poetry so it's read and sung by other artists so he's not on the record at all um he might be maybe some audio snippets here and there i don't actually know but do you count that as a part of his posthumous albums do you think it affects his legacy if it's only inspired by him rather than like new studio album? And what kind of separates inspiration from sampling him into a song and calling that his work? So obviously he wrote it. Um, and by that degree, I would definitely count it as Tupac being involved. Posthumous album speaking, I think you could lean on that. I think you could say it is. Um, I wouldn't necessarily loop it into the same stuff as he's done before, because obviously you've got different people on it. However, you like I said, you could look at it in a different light. Here's a different flavor. Or do you really like these artists? And do you really like Tupac? Well, you're going to love this. Mm. Um, I, I suppose you could look at it in that light. There's an interesting thing on, I believe, Lord of the Game... No, it's on Pax Life, sorry. Um, the Snoop Dogg's there again, yay. Um, there's a Dear Mama remix. So Dear Mama was a um, track to Tupac Double Needs Alive. And it's a... I think it's pretty good. I really like it. I think it really shines. It kind of works in the same way Ghetto Gospel does, but not as intense or grandiose. And it kind of made me think, like, would I be happy to kind of hear remixes of his songs like this rather than, like, new songs, quote-unquote? Would that change the perception on the changes made as it kind of gives it a framework? Um, if, you know, let's say that Faith Evans one was more of a remix album. Here are like classic Biggie songs, let's say 16, 17 classic Biggie songs. Um, 
and all she's done is kind of maybe just changed instrumentation added some bvs but ideally it's kind of the same how would you feel about that would you think that would be well much more received and would you want to listen to that and invest in that i think it would um be preferable i think it would um as i said i've not listened to it i'm gonna have to this week apparently um you can't make me i could always just google a review that's true <laughs> i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna listen to it but because you're professional because yeah, i'm a professional and i'm affordable mm. da, da, da. it's um other shampoos are available other shampoos are more than available <laughs> i'm using al pacino at the moment nice and it's quite it's quite fantastic because not only does it strengthen my hair roots, but it makes me feel like a gangster. Al Pacino. <laughs> Have a little laugh there with you boys. Anyway. Yeah, that's pretty much that covered. So, Mez, what, um, yes. what posthumous record did you have a look at? So, I dug deep. Deep, deep, deep. Not Ooh, that deep. Not that deep. Um, I had a look at Queen's posthumous album. Now, there is another one. Um, in fact, there's a couple, but they're mostly live, so we don't count them. So, yeah, you had The Miracle in 89, Innuendo in 91, and then, as a lot of people know, in 1991, Freddie Mercury died of AIDS. Um, he didn't die of AIDS. That is completely incorrect. He had AIDS. He died of um, a flu-related complication, I do believe. Because as I'm sure most people know, AIDS eats away at your immune system and you die of a cold. That's what it does. So, Made in Heaven was released in 1995, four years after Freddie died. Um, it was recorded during two different periods of time. It was recorded, um, like, I think it, I think it was like January 1980 to May 1991, so like sporadically. And then it was finished off October 1993 to February 1995. There were a number of different um, studios involved. Um, but yeah, November 1995 is when it was released. I adore this album. I think it's wonderful. Um, in fact, a lot of my formative teenage years, the soundtrack of it was for... Um, it's a beautiful day. Interestingly enough, it's a beautiful day. Was um, I will get to it. Give me a second. It was, it was a bonus track on a deluxe version of the game, which was released in 1980. Okay, so um, about 15 years before. Yeah. So this this album, songs on this album has have existed for quite a while previous to. To um to it being written, recorded, released, etc. Um, you've got Mother Love, which is <coughs> basically Freddie. I think it's him kind of equating, saying like, I mean, like one of the lines in it is, "I don't want to sleep with you, and I want Mother Love." So he doesn't want any of that sexy nonsense. He just wants warm, comforting love. That was the best way I could equate it. I do apologize. I mean, I, I, um, I felt it. I felt it. You've got I Was Born to Love You, which I love it as a standalone track, but in a lot of ways it's like Don't Stop Me Now Part 2. 
music-wise. It's very, very similar. Very, very similar. Heaven for Everyone. Just a really pleasant track. Too Much Love Will Kill You will absolutely tug at your heartstrings. Um, A Winter's Tale. Oh, my good Lord. There's some really nice guitar chord arpeggiating chords going on. Um, There's a little guitar solo in it. The tone is almost quite thin, but it's not like, it's not bad. It's Obviously, it's Brian May. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just very, very appropriate for the song. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought to to have that sort of tone on there. Yeah. Um, and you've got the last two songs. One's called Yeah, and that is the only word said in the entire song. And then you've got Untitled, which um, I believe there were meant to be lyrics for it, but they never got finished. And that was like Freddie's last day in the studio before he went home. Oh, wow. Um, so at the, t- at the time when they were in the studio, Freddie was constantly uh, just saying, just give me words. I'll sing them. And even to the point where they had a drum machine and he sang these words to the drum machine and they finished it off after he died. Um, in his mind, he, he said, I haven't got much time left. And the time I've got left, I want to be making music. Uh, and he'd he'd sing a line incredibly well, like, as we all know, amazing vocalist. He'd sing a line and then he'd, like, neck a shot of vodka. He never once complained of the agony he was obviously in. Uh, and Brian May was literally just picking up scraps of paper and writing lyrics on them just really quickly. It went four times platinum. Uh, 1.2 million copies sold. It was produced by Queen. Uh, and the feedback is mostly positive. Um, so the Jerusalem Post, not the first newspaper you expected me to take from, um, but I think they summed it up perfectly. Um, the quote is, somehow Mercury and Queen's ability to make a joyful noise in the face of pain and death makes this a very comforting album to have in shaky times. I think that's that sums it up perfectly. It's a, like I said, it's a personal favourite of mine. Um, and to me, they can't, they can't really ruin Freddie's legacy anyway. Uh, because just before he died, he openly said to manager Jim Beach, which he uh, affectionately named Miami, so Miami Beach, which is very I, I, funny. I got it. I, got um, it. I knew I was about that. And apparently it's some sort of reference to do with the sun's always behind you on Miami Beach, <laughs> which I, I find hilarious. That's wonderful. Um, he said to Jim Beach, um, do whatever you want with my music, with my words, my lyrics, just never make me boring. And I think I think they've done tremendously well with that to be honest with you. Um, like I said, Freddie recorded the vocals and the band pieced it together after he died. So I think it's kind of in the middle of what we were discussing between the um, the artist exclusively had control over everything to the artist had no control over anything. Because Freddie sang words and two songs, some songs were written as he was there. 
Um, but on the other hand, it was finished and pieced together by the rest of the band four years after he died. So, I mean, what do you make of that, Marv? Is is that would you agree with me there? Yeah, I think, I think when you add in, say, let's let's uh, add in groups where it's not just on one person like Biggie or Tupac or someone like that. Um, you know, Freddie wasn't the whole band. It wasn't like he wrote everything, could play everything, and then just got people in to play it. You've got big, big players in that band and personalities. So Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it gets to a point where, I mean, I did they know when he got his AIDS diagnosis? Did they know at the time or did they find out later? So they found out later on. Um, the Queen biopic, which is excellent, by the way, I recommend anyone to go and watch it. It's not exclusively to the timeline of what actually happened. Um, despite the fact Brian May and Roger Taylor were heavily involved in it. Um, it's not completely factual. Um, there are some minor details, but there's also one where just before the Wembley performance, where they're rehearsing, Freddie turns around and tells them all. That never happened. Oh. Uh, he told, I believe, Jim Beach. He said, I've, I've got this. Um, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about it. This, this, there was a big like meeting with Queen management where it was like, I've got this, but don't tell anyone. What, um, um, what album era is that around? That, I do believe, was, oh, you've asked me now, you've asked me. <laughs> I do believe that was the kind of magic tour, which was 1986. Okay. So I guess if we went back to like the Black Star thing where yeah. no one knew that David Bowie had liver cancer. No. Um until after his death. I guess that I guess Made in Heaven might have been the kind of proto kind of type of that posthumous album, you know? I I think you could look at it like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Um, but yes, I I think it's fantastic. I think it's a very emotional listen. Um, I think it's in Mother Love. There's a minor chord strike, and Freddie like really goes goes for the note, and you can yeah, it is. It's in Mother Love. You can hear it in his voice. There's like a a really rough raw quality to it, um, which wasn't intended, but they left it in. And I think it was a very good move to do so. It's very emotive. It's like when we were talking about uh, St. Anger, where the vocals in it are very, very evocative. They're very emotional, empathetic, and you can hear that. This is what this album's like for me. Um, but most of the tracks, you listen to it, and you wouldn't believe the man was dying. You you just wouldn't at all. He's he's still on form. Still on form, yeah. Yeah, it's- it sounds very sad. And again, I think if the emotion is there and the true storytelling is there and yeah, that's something to definitely get behind. That's something that you can't necessarily criticize. You know, no. you can't exactly, you have to take that into account. I think that's a very big thing to do because in Tupac and Biggie's case, 
that wasn't there. They were no. in good health. That wasn't that side of that. Um, I did read a couple of bad reviews because this album does get a slight bit of hate. It does from people time saying to time, it's yeah. on the weakest, you know, the weakest side of their spectrum. Um, one that I know you're going to find particularly offensive. Uh, oh, here we that, go. The guy says that there's too much Brian May guitarisms on it, and in in quotes he put, not in quotes he put in brackets, too much Brian May can do you harm. Now, how do you respond to these uh, allegations, James? That too much Brian May guitar can actually harm you. Have you got their address at all? Well, I can give it to you after the show, maybe. Okay, sweet. That's my feeling on that. <laughs> um, I. I think it's kind of unfair to do that. Context. Think of everything that was going on at the time. Your lead singer is dying. Like, he's not, he's not like having a bad day. He's dying. The label isn't going, come on, lads, got to finish up here. A, a, a vital aspect of your songwriting will not be around for much longer. And you need to get this cracked ASAP. So that's what I say to that reviewer. Um, obviously, you know, it's music. It's open to interpretation. It's open to criticism. Again, I guess the a big overarching question there is, is that um, how much criticism do you think posthumous albums should have? You know, should they be viewed rightfully by their own artistic merit and do you have to factor in the fact that someone has died and doesn't have any control over it? Especially in Freddie Mercury's case where, you know, the public at the time didn't know he was dying, but they knew he was dying and, you know, had passed away once the album had come out. So that context is there and it's very, very pivotal. It's very vital. And it is the record. Like you were saying, he's probably talking about, you know, his struggles with his illness and his disease. Um, so maybe it's like an artist by artist basis, but then do you think it's fair to have to put that up next to their other work, knowing that it's not going to be their best or, you know, maybe as my head is now turning into, you follow the story of the band and you know that that part of that act of that story of that timeline, that's what they were going through. So you have to view that album in that context, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying, and I was I'm I'm inclined to agree. It's it's important to see the context. Obviously, um, as we've discussed before, we're very kind about the bands we love, um, but you know, in terms of comparing to their previous work, I I think I think that's fine. I think that's okay because you're still following the timeline. You're still going, well, in 1977, they did this. In 1986, they did this. In 1963, they... You know what I mean? So I, I think I, I agree with you. I think both instances is more than acceptable. Um, just don't ever say there's too much prior May because that's impossible. You will come round for more than just a cup of coffee. Oh, oh I'll come round and break your legs. Said, no, I won't. I won't do that. I won't a, do that. That is a threat. I'll come round and break the ice. Okay, over someone's with a, legs with a fact about <laughs> how that's not correct. 
you go ear. In fact, he was actually experimenting with his pickups on his guitar. So actually, you're hearing some fresh bridge playing Brian May, yeah? <laughs> I am an absolute nerd for Brian May. That's no lie. Um, so I guess Made in Heaven then. So where would you place it if you had to be objective and be a critic? Um, I'm going to say again, a critic. Where would you place it among their work? Do you think it's some of their best work? Do you think rightfully so, just be, just based on how it sounds or, or the, the situation of time? Does it have to be in that lower bracket? Where are you going to you know, place it? For instance, is it better than Hot Space? Yes, absolutely. And that's, and that's usually deemed their weakest work, right? Yes. Okay, so where would you now put um, Made in Heaven? Difficult. Difficult, that one, because... Um... It's not offensive in any way possible. Uh, I've seen some reviews that say um, there's no filler, there's no this, there's no that. There is a bit of filler on it. I won't lie. Um, And that's basically blasphemy for me to say that at this point. Um, There is a bit of filler, but... mm, yeah, I still think it stands up really well. I still think it's a great, a great Queen album and a great album generally. Okay. So I'm not going to rank it. I'm not going to sit here and go, it's in between this one and this one. But yeah. it's not your first listen. I think it rounds off the Queen collection nicely. The Queen era of that time of those four people, it rounds it off nicely, in my opinion. Well, I'm going to listen to Made in Heaven. Um, oh, okay. I did. Well, I did, wait, I did I grow up with you. Queen, but um, my mum. I won't make you do too. <laughs> I can do as many as you like, bud. Um, all of them. All of them now in 24 hours. Yes, yeah. I'll definitely put them on the list. Um, so my final pick for what I think might be the weakest posthumous album I've heard. Oh wow. Um, and I remember listening to the first track and being genuinely shocked and being like, oh my God, this is it. I think I messaged you being like, dude, this this is it. This is the one that's going to take oh, me wow. over the edge. Um, it's called Johnny Cash Remixed. It came out in 2009. And again, this is like a, they say a tribute album. Okay. But it, but it has Johnny Cash songs on it. Yeah. But they've got, um, one person in each track to do a remix or to do like a, yeah, to do a remix. So again, what necessarily is the difference there? You know, if we're listening to um, a track where someone's done something where you only hear Johnny Cash in the in the hooks, in the choruses, and they yeah. sampled him versus something we hear in duets or Pac's Life. But that's a two-pack album. That's a biggie album. But this, that you know, that's a proper studio album. But this one's a remix. This one's like a tribute album. So, like to me, it was not doing from the start. But you're kind of them bending these rules a little bit, you know? Yeah, because it's still underneath the Johnny Cash banner. It has his name on it. So, um, let me ask: Why is Snoop Dogg the most prolific artist in the world, Mez? Well, I'm gonna answer with a meme. The okay. other day, I was scrolling Facebook, and it had lots of pictures of Snoop Dogg doing various different things. And somebody put, it was like a Reddit thread or something. And one person put, what is Snoop Dogg doing? 
and somebody else put, he's completed the main storyline and now he's just doing side quests. <laughs> yep. That's yep. kind of my view on Snoop. He's He's done, but he's not done. He's just like, I would never want to hire that man for anything because he doesn't need it. So the risk of him not turning up is pretty much on me at this point. Is, you know what I mean? the perfect representation, especially because the first track we get is I Walk the Line Snoop Dogg Remix. What and in the hell? It is G-Funk. It is full-on rap. It's full-on hip-hop. Wow. And I think Snoop Dogg is the first person you hear on this whole record. So for a Johnny Cash record, you hear Snoop Dogg first. Now... <laughs> You know, for people who maybe don't know who Johnny Cash is, just as a general thing, very, very big country music star, um, very big, like, kind of rock and roll star, very, very big, decades-long career, um, probably one of the most important figures of 20th century music. Definitely. I don't think this is the first posthumous album we we get from him. I think we get, like, another one from, like, the American recording series, which is what all those okay. kind of... Uh, albums were in the kind of 90s and early noughties but yeah something's gone wrong here something's gone wrong here i must say um johnny cash album his name is facer on the cover you know i walk the line is on air get rhythm Folsom prison blues big river these huge huge songs yeah i'm hearing snoop dogg straight out of the gate i have no idea who this appeals to bit weird i have no idea because johnny cash fans are gonna be as old, if not a little bit younger than him. Yeah. And I can't see any younger people picking up this album at the time and then getting into it. And especially for hip hop and rap, I can't see anybody necessarily getting into it. It just, I I, I don't know, especially trying to pick that album up cold and then be like, well, oh, this is really, really good. Maybe if you get a single and you kind of go, this is interesting, but then you'd be disappointed by the rest of them because if you're a big Snoop Dogg fan, hip-hop fan, then the rest of the album doesn't necessarily reflect that. It's a very big, bold statement straight out the gate. And again, like Faith Evans, if this was a Snoop Dogg track, I put here, it'd be approximately 3,967.678% less offensive. And that's a statistic I'll stick by. I like that you're standing by that. Yeah. And there was a documentary that came out with the album. And most of it just reads as like a, like an apology, like a kind of precursor thing. So uh, the producer, one of the producers. So I think um, Johnny Cash's son was like an executive producer. And Greg DeMamos, who was the main producer. This is one of his quotes. I looked myself in the mirror and said, not everyone is going to like this record. And that's the truth. The intention of the record was to honor Johnny Cash and to, um, and he does a little pause, not take it so out of context that it was silly or a mockery of him. That's insane. And if you do that, you're making a big mistake. What's your so, take on that, Marv? So, I mean, it sounds like one of those weird apology things of like, don't have a go at us. We were just trying something new. Like, you know, don't take it too seriously because that's your fault. It's almost like that devil's advocate thing, isn't it? Mm. Of like, oh, I'm putting this out, but don't expect too much from it. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, he also says Snoop Dogg and Walk the Line was a have to. And he says have to very, very serious. Like, it was a have to. Now, What's it though? A have to. Now, Snoop Dogg can pull off many things. Yes, he even, can. Even cowboy hats that we're seeing in the music video. He looks great. He looks great in a cowboy hat. Oh, I'm going to go and look at that. Um, but I think this track might be the worst representation of what they were saying they wanted. We keep getting reminded that Johnny Cash bended genres and expectations of what his music should be and can be, but not when he's reduced down to just a sample and a hook that now doesn't fully fit the kind of key center core progression they've kind of done. They've done the thing where um, the original song is in a major key and they've tried to turn it into a minor sounding song. So quick theory lesson that um, for every major scale, you can have the minor scale, which uses the same notes. So all the white notes on a keyboard, piano can be C major and then A minor. They're called relative major and minors because they share the same notes. You just start at different goalposts. Um, so the problem there is, is that because they couldn't alter or didn't want to alter the notes that Johnny Cash was singing, they don't resolve very well when they clash with the new kind of minor chords. Um, I can see that happening. So that's yeah. already bad. And for the fact to be straight off the gate, straight off the gate, it's just it's doomed. Doomed from the start, you know. Um, very, very bold, I must say. Um, Snoop saying that he was trying to imagine being in a studio with Johnny Cash and being mindful to just put on his part around the original song. To me, that's like he's talking about a different song entirely. Because it's a Snoop track yeah. with a Johnny Cash sample. That to me is what it says. Big River just seems to add drums and filter sweeps to it. I can maybe see yeah. how this would appeal to a Johnny Cash fan because there's nothing too offensive, nothing too drastic. You're just putting a backbeat essentially. Um, but nothing redeeming for like a younger audience. Get Rhythm yeah. is basically the Matrix. It just sounds like the Matrix. Um, <laughs> what's kind of your thought there then, Mez? That, you know, we're being told it's a tribute album, but it has Johnny Cash on the cover. It's a different song, has a different remix, essentially. So how would you class this among Johnny Cash's work? You know, the first thing you're hearing is G-Funk, hip-hop, and Snoop Dogg. You know, what are your thoughts? So G-Funk has its place. It definitely has its place. I love G-Funk. Amazing. With Johnny Cash. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave that, I think. It's, uh, it's not what you'd expect to hear. Being, being labelled a Johnny Cash tribute album, um, and the first thing you hear is Snoop, there's G-Funk on it, that's weirding me out. I'm not into that. I think... I think the statement the producer made says it all, really. Um, and I, I don't know how far you can go in terms of respect, because if he's, it, it's almost as if he's acknowledging that it's not a very good album in his own way from his own perspective. And for that reason, it kind of, that just leaves a sour taste, doesn't it? Indeed. Really? Uh, it, like, dude. Stand by it. Stand by your argument. I'll respect you more. If it, even if it's like, I really enjoyed making this record. I really hope the fans enjoy it. If they don't, then I'm sorry. But playing this whole devil's advocate of, if you don't like it, well, we did this and we did that. But like, 
if you don't like it, if you, if it's almost like that, you're not intelligent enough to appreciate the art that we produce here. You know what I mean? It's that kind of deal. However, I'm interested in this. So I'm going to listen to it this week. It's an interesting listen, I think, especially for the first track. Yes. I don't think it's very exciting. No. You do have the fact that you have really good songs on there. Classic, classic, Stone Cold classic songs. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin classic songs, as you might, you know, try and interpret. So at least that's in your favor. 316. 316 all day, every day. So John Carter Cash, who's his son, said there was a possibility of it being overdone and lacking heart and soul. Now, to me, it is overdone and it does lack heart and soul. Yes. The artists that do their own remixes, they're all very sincere. They stand by, you know, they stand by what they say and what they mean. They're like, we want to honor him good. You know, someone like The Heavy, um, they're like, we were, we were so worried about tripping on, you know, his toes. They play you their first, in the documentary, they play the first version and it's just exactly the same. Or they've done, right. I think they've put a little bit of drums to it. But then they got told, kind of try a little bit harder. Their track's not too bad. It's not too bad. But again, it doesn't sound like a Johnny Cash song. No. That makes sense. Absolutely. It, really, it, it just sits in a really weird place. Um, I did have a Snoop Dogg um, quote. Yeah. So again, this is what he's saying. Johnny Cash, what he means to me, he means a lot. He means a lot to great music. He inspires a lot of people like myself by the music that he made, the songs that he made. He makes timeless music. His music lives on. Now, he's saying that in all sincerity, but if you just to take that, what he was saying, it kind of comes across like I've been taken up to the front of the class and I've got to you know, tell everyone what's happened in the latest Pip, Chip and Kip book, but I've not read it. So I'm now like, um, the book is a nice book and it's a book full of nice stuff. And, you know, <laughs> Pip's nice and he's good. And the thing is about good stuff is that the sun is nice and the sun is hot and that's what the sun does. So that's, that's I guess, what could come out. But from yeah. Snoop's perspective, I know that he's being sincere and <clears throat> it's not a cash grab. You can tell that he really, really genuinely is proud of this work. and kind of knows it. Um, and he's done tracks with Willie Nelson on tracks with everybody it seems yeah so i think the artists aren't at fault here i think they really do want to do a good job um but i think this record falls really because it's mainly in a different genre to johnny cash's original work whereas tupac and biggies weren't they're around their respective genres and queen as well you know yeah it stays in that genre as johnny cash's goes wildly out wildly out um but then again like is this a um, album ahead of its time? Because you look at something like Man of the Woods by Justin Timberlake that tries to fuse hip-hop beats with country, with pop, with R&B. It's got those leanings you know, here and there. Say something, you know, something like that. Where you're like, well, okay, maybe it didn't get the best critical reception. Some people said it just didn't work, the genre mashing. But I really like that album. I've got a good fondness for that album. But that was 2000 and probably 17, 18. Yeah, 2018 maybe. So yeah, yeah. this Johnny Cash album is nine years before. Maybe we weren't ready for that. You know, Sugar Time sounds like the country we're here now, like Florida, Georgia line. That song Cruise is quite big. And 
a lot of country songs now are like hip hop inspired, have fake drums. They're all about drinking beer and partying. You know, it's very synthetic. It's not what people would call original, true country music. It's very, very pop. So yeah. maybe that Johnny Cash thing was just a catalyst for it. Maybe it was just ahead of its time. And maybe if you view it in that way, it could be more of a genuine thing, a genuine piece of music. But the interesting thing here is that it's not boring. And the last one is that his son says that this will make listeners want to listen to the original recordings. I don't want to listen to this. Okay. I just want to go listen to the original records. Um, and again, there's so much Johnny Cash I don't know. I'm a bit more of a, a greatest hits guy when it comes to him. Um, Same, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to his work. And that is not the record. That is the last record I would choose for someone to get into Johnny Cash. But it's a very interesting listen. I think go into it with an open mind, um, maybe get past the Snoop Dogg track, a bit like Bat Out of Hell. Yeah. Snoop Dogg track is not indicative of the whole album, but definitely give it a listen. And Mez, that's your own work. Give that a listen, boy. Yeah, I will. I'll go and I'll go and give that a go. And in actual fact, I am going to speak to a friend of mine, James, um, who may or may not be listening. Um, because he's a he's a huge Cash fan. He loves Johnny yeah. Cash. Um, so I'm going to speak to him and I'm going to ask him if he's aware of this. And if he isn't, I'm going to ask him to listen to it as well. I'm going to listen to The King and I. And what was this Johnny Cash album called? It's called Johnny Cash Remixed. Johnny Cash Remixed. Yep. Rewind and Selector. Rewind Selector, boom. Um, there are, on the album artwork, there's a pair of headphones and the headphone cord goes into the microphone. And I don't like that. That that annoyed me. Yeah, that doesn't... <laughs> yeah. Nah. I'll tell you what, though. The thing is... You really shouldn't do that. Ah, oh, here we go. You've been very good, actually. You haven't brought that out loud. No, so you well can't. You, you so can't overuse good, it too good much. Good amount of constraint. <laughs> Right then, so I think that's really all the ones albums I can think of. Yeah, Again, that's... if you've got any albums that you think, especially posthumous ones, that you think we should have mentioned, um, give us a DM on our Twitter, give us a DM on our Instagram, email us, 50wayspodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And any other suggestions for anything. Episode ideas. I'll be getting a couple of them. It's been pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty hyped on it. Amazing amazing right we're going to come to youtube comment theater now so yep. we've got two ones haven't we so we've got a small little one from you and then i found one as well and i went with snoop dogg because i thought snoop dogg is on all of these albums he's he's probably on that queen album you know he's probably buried somewhere on that queen album <laughs> Busting out i haven't discovered him yet but if i do i'll have to let you know he's there so um let's do your one first so oh, okay. where does your one come from my one comes from a um, a Watch Mojo video, and it's Notorious B.I.G. versus Tupac, music-wise, yeah. okay? A classic argument. Now, this one's not very long, and there's a simple reason for that, listeners, and that's because every single comment I find had about 50 comments underneath it, and this podcast is already too long, <laughs> so... <laughs> I had to find just enough. So am I starting this off, Marv? 
I think you should start it off because he give you the best lines. So go for it. Okie dokie. I hate comparing them. They're both amazing and influential rappers. Exactly. They're equal. Biggie is better. And that's that. <laughs> I just, I, I found that funny because it was like, and this, this comment has like 73 likes. So this guy's like, everyone's good. Let's just not go there. Somebody else agrees and someone still, even though someone's gone. Yeah. Yeah. They're both just as good. Someone still managed to worm their way in and go, actually, I think this and I'm correct. Oh, just even the fact of YouTube comment trolls anyway, but like, especially with a bone of contention like that, Tupac versus Biggie, you're just, no one's going to agree on anything. Same as Illmatic versus Ready to Die. Exactly. Blue versus Penguin, loads of stuff, you know. Who's sexier, Mez or Marv? Obviously me. Obviously Mez. Um, well, well. But, you know. Next. Well. <laughs> right, my one comes from Carpool Karaoke, the series, Snoop Dogg and Matthew McConaughey, Apple TV app. Um, I was trying to find... I was trying to find a couple, but this one kind of stuck out to me. I quite liked it. So here we go. Why does Snoop actually look like an old Chihuahua? Like Poodle, though. Lol, good comeback. No, it's a Doberman. It's the hair. D-O-double-G. So true. Because he smokes tons of weed. Dude. Yep, definitely a Doberman. Even more like a whippet. Dead ass. <laughs> it's the dog in him. Poor Snoop. He did not age that well. Ellipsis. Lol. Damn, lol. Because he's Snoop Dog. Because he's always been a Snoopy breed of a dog. Lol. LMAO. That is so true. I've never heard a more perfect description. Man, damn, you made me choke on my chicken. That's good, that. I like that. In his early years, he resembled a Doberman. In one of his videos, he even included him morphing into a Doby. Cock. That's why they call him Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Doberman. Poor Snoop. I doubt it. Lol. It just, it's just so erratic. I enjoy these it's comments. It's so erratic theaters. and weird. And the fact that you have to have this conversation, like semi-serious about why he looks like a dog, why he doesn't look like a dog. And then someone's like, actually, he did actually um, morph into a specific type of dog. So here's this. Nerds. Episode three is done. It's done in the bag. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the end. Um, that's the podcast this sure week. to... That is the podcast that is done. Be sure to follow our four Patreons. Ollie, Sam, Luke, Jack. Legends. Uh, for £3 a month, basic tier. Legends in their own right. You get early access to the full unedited episode um, a day early. You get a shout out on the app. We're going to leave today now. We were going to do a different song, but at the last minute it kind of didn't know what went on. So we're going to do another one of my tunes that will be coming out on my album Wherever you go, there you are, which should be coming out fairly soon. I will have a release date for that. Um, it's titled Birch, and I named it after Lovely. my friend Mark Birch. He's a very, very good artist, and I think it's a bop. I quite like it. 
um, underneath the alias Afralune. That's A-F-R-A-L-U-N-E. Uh, go look that up on Spotify. I've already got an album out already called Blank Tales. Give that a spin. I've got my single dropping two days time called a render, which I played last week. So go listen to that. Pre-save that. Um, yeah. Hope it's a good one. We'll see you next week. We're going to be doing live albums. So I'm looking forward to that. Get your comments in, get your suggestions in, get your emails in. Let us know what you think we should cover, what you think is the worst live album of all time, and we'll listen to it and we'll defend it and we'll have a jolly good old time. And there you go then. I'm all good. What about you, Mez? I'm all good, kid. He's rocking. All right then. See you later. Cheerio. Bye-bye.